know, church, as long as God grants me the privilege to have breath in my lungs and to lead in this church, one thing will be true about this church, that there is only one who is worthy of it all. Amen, church? And his name is the Lord God Jehovah, and his son is Jesus Christ. And in this church, we will worship only one, and his name is Jesus. God, we bless your name today. You are worthy of it all, Lord. You are worthy, Lord Jesus. We bless the name of the Lord our God, and you alone, you alone, oh God, are worthy in this house of our praise and praise and of our worship and of our exaltation. We bless the name of the Lord at GT Church today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you, church. You may be seated. I'm waiting for my table to find its way out here. Could you guys bring that out here? That would be unbelievably awesome. Um, so listen, man, I'm excited about this service today. Uh, if you've been tracking with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we have been looking to embed, thank you, uh, we've been looking to embed the foundation of our church in our lives, right? We've been saying for a few weeks now that there are certain foundations of the church that are also to be the foundations of our lives. And we started two weeks ago with the Word of God, God's Word, and we talked about why the Word of God is to be a foundation. And my heart every week has been to, at some level, answer the question why. Not just what is the foundation, but why is that to be a foundation? There's going to be eight of them uh, over the next five more weeks yet. We talked about why the Word of God is a foundation in the church and in our lives. Then we talked about prayer last Sunday, that prayer is to be a foundation in the church and in our lives. And this is such a good time. Maybe some of you are veteran GTers. You've been around for years or decades, even like I have. And you are very well acquainted with the, the DNA of our church. You know who we are. You know what we stand for. You know how we operate, what makes us tick. But for some of you, uh, you're, you're relatively new to the church. You've been around for a couple of weeks, a couple of months. Maybe you're visiting today. Maybe you're joining us online for the first time today. It is such a good season to be checking out GT because we are establishing for you who we are and, and what's important to us. And so we've been with the Word of God. We've talked about prayer. Today, we're going to explore the importance of worship as a foundation in our lives. And the service order today is going to look a bit different. You know, many of you, again, if you're a church person, you're very accustomed to the way that church looks on a Sunday morning. We come, we sing three or four songs, we have announcements, we receive the offering, the pastor preaches for 35 or 40 minutes, we close in prayer and we go home, right? Today is going to look a bit different because it is, uh, it's an opportunity for us to take a bit more time and worship today. Uh, many of you have joined us on our evening worship nights when we have a Sunday night worship refresh services and we just get a little more time to worship God with our voices and singing and music. And that's going to happen today. I'm going to share the first half of the message today and talk about what worship, why worship in a corporate setting, like in the assembly of the saints. Uh, then we're going to have another song that I'm going to invite you to stand in about 10, 12 minutes. We're going to sing another song and worship God. And then Pastor Dan, our worship pastor, is going to come and do the second part of the message. It felt very appropriate for me that our worship pastor would uh, share part of the message today. And then we're going to close 
with what I think is a very significant song. Some of you, the song that we close with may be new. And for some of you, it's going to be like what they'd call Ratatouille. Anybody see the movie Ratatouille with the rat that makes soup and all that? For some of you, how we close today, you're just going to stand there and be like, oh, the Lord is good to me. Because you're going to like love this song because it's a, it's a classic. Uh, and there's some meaning to why we're going to use that song at the end. But today's going to be a bit different. But I want to start with this, you know, talking about worship as a foundation. Two things as we get started. Number one, when we gather together as the people of God, right? I want to say it that way, the people of God, because you and I aren't the first people of God, as Carrie prayed a moment ago. We have our, the roots of our faith are what I would call the Judeo-Christian roots, And our roots date back to ancient Israel several thousand years before Jesus ever was born to Mary. And so when we gather, we are actually carrying forward an ancient tradition that ancient Israel would gather in a congregation and sing praise to God. We'll look at the Psalms in a minute. So when when we sing, when we meet together like this in a large group on a Sunday morning, we are actually joined with ancient saints for millennia in what we're doing today. There's something very significant and very beautiful about that. But there's another reason that we worship. This is some of the why is that, and Dan will talk a bit more about this in greater detail, but every one of us who is is a Christian, who is a follower of Christ, part of your core purpose in this life is to glorify God with your life. Amen? Part of your purpose, part of your reason for being on this earth is to worship God and to let your life give him praise, glory, and honor in all that you say and do. And so, of course, that would be a foundation of who we are as a church and what we do as individuals. Here's some of the things that you'd read in the Psalms. Again, you know, if you grew up in church, you're, you're more accustomed to having a really thick book in the seat in front of you called a hymnal. Anybody grow up with one of those? Come on, like many of you have. Um, This, I'm going to read from the original hymnal. It's a book of Psalms, right? The book of Psalms was given to Israel by God in a way to direct and guide their worship of God. Well, the Psalms are still true today. And so I'm going to read a couple of these Psalms that remind us of the invitation that God gives to the the assembly of his saints to give worship to God. Psalm 22 Verse 22 says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. Notice it's an individual statement, but he's saying it among the congregation. We still call this a congregation, the gathering of believers. And so why do we worship when we gather? Because 2,500 years ago, ancient Israel was gathering like this and giving praise to God. Psalm 68 Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. Then again in Psalm 149, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Some of you are so new to church, you didn't know what to expect when you came to church. And then you come here, you're like, my goodness, like, What's with all the singing? Like, it's just it's a bit much for me. Maybe you're not a person who enjoys music and you don't sing on your own. And so you get here like, is it a concert? Like, I'm not sure what to make of this. Why do we do that? Let me tell you why. Because the psalmist says in Psalm 149, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord. And interesting here, it says a new song. 
Some of you, some of our senior saints, some of our, our seasoned saints love the old music. And I do too. I love the classics. But isn't it cool that the psalmist says, sing to the Lord a new song. Isn't it just like God to give each generation, generation their own set of music in which to worship and praise God? I thought the young adults would say amen to that. I don't know, you know. But the Bible says, sing to the Lord a new song. God is not done inspiring his people to write new songs and, and give us new ways to worship the king. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the saints. So worship, along with the word of God and prayer, worship is a foundation in the church. Why? Because the Psalms invite us to gather just like this and to sing worship and praise to the Lord. It, it was central, listen, worship like this was central to the life of faith in ancient Israel 3,000 years ago. And it ought to likewise be central to the life of faith in the church today. Can somebody say amen? amen. And I want to add to this, and, I'll, and I'll, Dan will talk more about this when he comes after this song, but I want to I say something to you in love. If, if Sunday morning is the only time that you worship God, friend, you are missing out. Worship isn't just for Sunday morning. Too many of you maybe live like that. And again, if you're new, if you're new to this whole faith journey, like, what's he talking about? Like, I don't have a band that follows me to work. No, you don't. But there is unlimited music on Spotify or Pandora that you can listen to on your drive to work. Put it on quietly on the counter as you get ready for work. You should, we are invited by God to worship him more than just on Sunday morning. Our life is meant to be a living sacrifice to God. Psalm 95 we don't know for certain that this is from David, but the book of Hebrews quotes this song, this psalm, and, and gives credit to David for writing it. It says this, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Again, why do we sing? Because the psalmist says, come, let us, let the congregation come and sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Some of you sit near a shouter in this room. And you're like, well, what's up with that person? Like they, they're always, I see one over here on my left side. And, and you're like, why do they shout? Like, can, he just, can we all just like be quiet and, and worship in humble reverence? That might be right for you. But for some people, they're just going to do what the psalm says. Give a shout to the Lord. Come on, right? Let us, let us shout to the Lord. Allow to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Why do we sing? Why is there music? Because it's been this way for 3,000 years. We're not going to be the generation that lets that end, church, right? We will continue to sing and worship the Lord with our voices. Why? For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Notice the pronouns throughout all of that psalm. We, let us, it is our, let we, we will worship the Lord. Worship as a foundation ought to be a foundation in the church. It's foundational to the gathering of the people of God 
every time we gather, we ought to worship the Lord. It's, it's right, written right in the Psalms. Thank you for that. Amen. Why, so why? Why do we worship? You know, and, and you might have a different mind on this, and I, I understand that. Like, when I sit here every Sunday and I worship the Lord, there's stuff that happens in my soul. Can anybody bear witness to that? Like when we worship, when we sing, when we praise God, something is happening to me. Man, it, it inspires me, it encourages me, it lifts me up, it, it emboldens me. It, it, it changes the way I feel, it changes my mood sometimes, it, it, it rightly adjusts where I'm at right now. And while all of those things are well and good, none of those things are the cause or the motivation for my worship. My worship is not motivated by what I might receive as a byproduct of my worship. My worship is motivated by one thing and one thing only, his worthiness. We sang that song 10 minutes ago, he is worthy of it all. Why do we worship? Why is this a foundation? Because God is worthy of it all. In Psalm 150, it's not in the notes, but I'm gonna give it to you. It says, I worship him, let's praise him according to his excellent greatness. In Psalm 150, verse three, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Why do we worship God? Because I'll feel good, because it helps me feel better about my life. No, we worship God because he is worthy to be praised. There is no other reason for our worship. Don't confuse the, the reason with the byproduct. The byproduct, praise the Lord that happens in my life. Praise God that he ministers to you while you worship. But don't ever confuse that with the reason for worship. Worship is happening here because of one reason only, because God is worthy to be praised. He alone is worthy. You know, some, some wonder, why do we clap our hands? Any, let, let me just, I'm gonna, sorry, forgive me the, the ultra spiritual in this room, but any Phillies fans in the house today? Come on. See, what happens when they win? The hands go up in the air. I do this, right? It's natural. When you watch your favorite sports teams and they score and they win, it's very natural to applaud and to throw our hands in the air. Why is it not natural in church? Why is it not natural for us to give praise to God with our hands and to lift them to the God of heaven? This is what the Psalm says, Psalm chapter 41. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Why, why do we do that? For the Lord most high is awesome, the great King over all the earth. Why should I clap and why should I shout? Because God is awesome and he's the king over all the earth. Why do I lift my hands? Again, maybe you're new to this. I, I totally understand. 30 years ago, this, it was uncomfortable to me. The more you grow in your faith and in love with God, the more he will just set you free to not care what other people think. The more he will just release you. I don't care what people think. I'm gonna jump and I'm gonna clap and I'm gonna raise my hand. Why? Because he's good. Because he is worthy to be praised. That's why. Why do I lift my hands in worship? Psalm 63, I will praise you as long as I live and in your name, I will lift up my hands. In your name, I will lift my 
hands. Friend, Jesus reinforced this idea. Jesus reinforced the foundation of worship. Daniel continued this passage. We're gonna sing in a minute, but in John chapter four, Jesus said these words. He said, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Are you the kind of worshiper the Father seeks? Is GT gonna be the kind of worshipers that God seeks? Come on, somebody. Praise the Lord. Jesus said, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. I want you to stand to your feet. We're gonna worship again. Like I said, the service order today is gonna be a bit different than what you're accustomed to. But praise the Lord, it's okay to mix up a service order now and again. And we're gonna sing a song right now, then Pastor Dan's gonna come and give the second part of this message. I've talked about worship in the corporate expression. Dan's gonna talk about worship in the, the personal expression. But we're gonna sing a song right now as a, a reinforcement of the fact that only one is worthy to be praised. This song is called Christ Be Magnified. The creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry. Then from north to south and east to west, we'd hear Christ be magnified. Oh, oh, oh. 
respond in praise. Lord, that is our prayer, that you would be magnified in us. Hallelujah. Thank you, church. You can be seated for right now. I could preach the lyrics of those songs all day. As we pick up, Pastor Scott was reading out of John chapter 4, where Jesus describes the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking. He's made it clear the kind of worshipers that he's seeking. Now we have the choice, are we gonna be those kind of worshipers? The Father is actively, continually seeking those that will worship in spirit and in truth. So it's one thing if we learn how to clap our hands, raise our hands, even sing songs. But if there's no spirit behind that, if there's no truth behind it, we're just going through the motions. The Father is seeking worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. Very quickly, just wanna take us through some things here to unpack that a little bit more. You know, when Jesus is talking about worshiping in spirit, it's really a reference to the unseen realm, the spiritual realm of our existence. The, the part of us that is always on, we're always thinking, we're always, you know, thinking about the next thing, thinking about what happened, you know, before we came to church today, uh, planning our future, all this stuff, all these conversations and thoughts that can be going on inside of our head while our physical body can be presenting something very different. We're all in this room right now, physically, but some of you can be somewhere completely out of this room in your mind. You can be thinking about the beach that you'd prefer to be on. You could be thinking about the horrible situation that you have going on in your workplace that you wish you could get out of and find another place to, to go to work tomorrow, right? All of these different things can be going on in our minds, yet we could be physically in a place where there's something happening that warrants participation, but our mind, our spirit, can be involved in something completely different. And so this is the heart of what Jesus is getting at when he's saying the Father is seeking worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. So as I already alluded to, this is happening in our minds. And I'm gonna use the word mind, and I believe even scripturally the word mind is to be all-encompassing of that which speaks of the immaterial part of our existence. Soul, spirit, heart, mind, all of these things. So I'm gonna use the word mind. In our minds, things just keep on going. There's always thoughts going on. Our thought life is 24-7. Even while we sleep, our mind is doing things. We start dreaming things. You might wake up and say, what the heck was that all about, right? Or maybe you say, oh, no, I don't really dream. Well, you know, I think that there's studies that show that even if we don't remember it, there's always stuff going on in our minds. So it's important that our minds get engaged behind our response and our actions in worship. You see, worship happens best and most genuinely when we have a revelation of who God is. And with that revelation, and I could even say realization of who God is, we can respond appropriately. So revelation of who God is, his character, his nature. Pastor Scott said the fact that he is worthy. You know, even the English word worship comes from the term worth, worth-ship. 
It's because his worth, his value, his greatness, he is worthy to be praised. So we need to get involved in that. We can't just be passive. Our mind, our spirit has to be engaged in it. You know, sometimes when we come to church on a Sunday in the corporate gathering, you know, the the whole environment here can serve well, I might add, as a distraction to maybe some of the cares and the worries of life. And, And that's not a bad thing. When we come here, we wanna be able to have focused attention on the lordship of Christ, but sometimes that's difficult. But if you're able to accomplish that here in an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday, what about the rest of your week? What's going on in your mind then? Because even after we close off the lights here and you go on your your way and into this week, the Father is still seeking worshipers that will worship in spirit and in truth. As we were just singing that last song, Christ be magnified. be, Be made bigger than everything else. Be made bigger than everything else. Let let that be the biggest thing that I see, the biggest part of my life. Let it be you. I wanna magnify you and your greatness. It says, from the altar of my life. And I love that line. And I wanna hone in and use that line for the next few moments as I speak and take us through the scripture. Your life and your worship on a daily basis, in the privacy of your home, in your thoughts, in your office, in your activities, your relationships, that will show what or who is truly magnified. So my first point is this, your life has an altar. And we're gonna explore that thought, not really a point, just a thought. Your life has an altar. What's coming from the altar of your life? We're gonna look at what the Apostle Paul writes in one of his greatest letters ever. And he begins a a section, we're gonna really be in chapter 12 of Romans, but we're gonna start a few verses ahead because the thoughts are really connected. He's expounding on the great mercy of God. Revelation, realization, God is merciful. So much to the point that it seems that Paul is overwhelmed at this thought of just how merciful and gracious God is. He pens what we now call the doxology. Doxa is where we get the word glory, and that's gonna make sense in a few moments. He burst into what's written almost like a song, like poetry, like song lyrics. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. He continues and says, I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God. So now he's had this revelation of the mercy of God. He he burst out into song giving glory to God. Now he's appealing to us by the mercies of God to present your body as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What's going on in the immaterial part of your existence, the spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The mind is connected to our worship. He says, because by the testing, uh, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. And aren't we all desiring that? We wanna know the will of God. We wanna live according to the will of God. And now we know how to do that. By the mercies of God, offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God because that's our spiritual act of worship. And then it starts in our thinking. Don't be conformed to this world. Other translations say to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So our minds need renewal if we're gonna worship God in spirit and in truth on a daily basis. Whether or not we're in a space that has a liturgy to it, when you're going about your daily routine, we can be worshiping God, he can be our focus, he can be redirecting our thoughts and our actions as we commune with him. Now, the kind of sacrifice that Paul is talking about here is much different than the, the, the framework of sacrifice that the Jewish people were, were familiar with. And most of his audience here is comprised of Jews in, in the book of Romans, also some Gentiles as well. But he's speaking to a specific issue of disagreement between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in the city of Rome. And so he has in view here his Jewish audience that would be very well acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures and, and Mosaic law and Levitical law on sacrifice, which involved animals. And these animals were killed before they were put on the altar. Now he's saying that we, as New Testament believers, Jesus has fulfilled all of that Levitical law in himself, in his own self-sacrifice. It's all been fulfilled, and he calls us to follow him, but now we are to be a living sacrifice. It has been quipped about this passage many times that the problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. Because nobody wants to be a living sacrifice if we're truly honest with ourselves. Nobody thinks when they wake up in the morning, ah, oh, man, what a great day. I'm just gonna offer myself as a living sacrifice. Doesn't happen. But this is what we're invited into. What does that mean? It means I'm putting him first. It means that he's ordering my steps and my priorities, not me. It means my life is not my own. I'm answering to a different master that's not myself. There's a God who is Lord over all, and it's not me. That's what living as a living sacrifice looks like. You know, in Luke chapter nine, Jesus gives this invitation saying, if anybody wants to be my disciple, mm, sounds good. Guy walking around healing people, raising the dead, saying awesome things, he could be the long-awaited Messiah. I'm gonna listen to this. He says, all right, if anybody wants to be my disciple, you must first do this. Number one, deny yourself. Ooh. Number two, Pick up your cross. Not only pick it up, pick it up daily and follow me. That's the call of our Savior. Anybody wants to be his disciple, we have to first deny ourselves. Take up our cross daily and follow him. They would have known the cross was the, the symbol of execution. He hadn't gone to it yet. That was a little fuzzy to his original audience, but it made a lot of sense once he went to the cross and even more sense when he arose from the, the grave gloriously on Easter Sunday morning, amen. But that's the invitation, not to avoid the cross, not to avoid the pain, not to avoid the suffering, but to endure it just as Jesus endured. He went through the cross. There's no glory of the resurrection without the shame and the humiliation of the crucifixion. 
and that's denying myself for a greater cause, to follow Jesus, to be the kind of worshiper that the Father is seeking. I love uh, on this passage, N.T. Wright translates the Greek this way about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, going on to say, worship like this brings your mind into line with God's. We need to bring our thinking into line with God's way of thinking. Isaiah says that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Paul even said in the passage I opened with, who has known the mind of the Lord? We can't, he's beyond figuring out all the depths of his wisdom and his knowledge far beyond understanding, yet we can bring our mind into line with God's when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, and it will be acceptable worship, and we'll know God's will. Come on. So there's something that we need to do. He's given us some prescriptive things in Scripture Now, we have to get on board with that if we are gonna be those kind of worshipers. When the Father is looking through the earth, is he gonna find worshipers that worship in spirit and truth? When he's looking through the pews at GT Church, is he gonna find worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth? You get to decide that. Here are a couple practical things that maybe you could do to begin to make a practice of this in your life. I'm gonna give you three things here. Number one, prioritize the Lord by giving intentional, focused time in the day for prayer, reading the Bible, and praise. Number two, prioritize the Lord by giving intentional, focused time in the day for prayer, reading the Bible, and praise. Number three, prioritize the Lord by giving intentional, focused time in the day for prayer, reading the Bible, and praise. You with me? There's a couple of good things that we can start to do. It's very important. It starts with the reordering of our priorities. Are we prioritizing the Lord? Any good relationship is gonna thrive when you are prioritizing your other. He's given us his word, and when we come to his word, we can learn who he is. We can learn about what he likes. We can learn about what he wants, and then we can give it to him. That's what we need to do. We need to learn who our God is, realization, revelation. We need to understand what he likes and what he wants, what he's desiring. He's seeking worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. Let's give God what he wants. Yes, he wants our hands. He wants our singing and our shouting, but he also wants a life behind that offering. And that's in every form of Christian discipleship and and practice, in our tithing, our giving of offerings, in our serving. He doesn't want people that just go through the motions. Obedience is good. The Bible even says obedience is better than sacrifice, but it doesn't matter if there's no life behind what we're doing. We need to live for him and for his glory. Second thing is this as I wrap up. So your life has an altar. The second thing is this, is that your purpose in life is to give God glory. Paul says if everything is to him, by him, through him, for him, to him be glory forever, amen. Our purpose is to glorify God. From the Westminster Larger Catechism, 
It is said about the chief end of man, the question of what is man's purpose, what is the chief end of man, that the answer is man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. Glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. That sounds good. You know, the God that created all things and after finishing that looks back and says, it is very good. The God that invites us into his rest, his Sabbath rest, says it is good to look at and enjoy the beauty of creation. So we need to glorify God. So what have we been created for? Well, we are made in his image and his likeness. You don't have to go any further than Genesis chapter one to understand that we have been created in the image and likeness of God. Isaiah also says, Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. Paul says to the Ephesians, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Your purpose, my purpose, the church's purpose is to give God glory. To him be glory forever and ever. Now this idea of glory, there's some more attached to that and I just wanna quickly unpack that before I hand things back over to Pastor Scott. You know, in Romans chapter 12, Paul has kind of come around full circle in a a larger discourse with with different things in focus and and he kind of lands at this place of us being that living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, getting our mind to line with God's, but he starts by really opening up his letter in chapter one by talking about the state of man and their rejection of God and what's at stake if we don't give God glory. It says in Romans 1, 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They're not worshiping God in spirit and truth, they're suppressing the truth. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Realization, revelation. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And listen to this, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. If you go right to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, where we get what we know as the 10 commandments, The very first command is that we shall have no other gods before him. Then he goes on to say, you're not gonna worship idols. You're not gonna make anything into the carved image of anything that I've created. Because here's the thing, when you really think about it, we're the idol because we've been formed in the image and likeness of God. So we've been made to look like God, to resemble God. 
And we are living at our highest end, our chief and highest end is to glorify God when we're actually living that way. When we're living as male and female and having dominion over his creation, acting like we care about it, acting like we love people, acting like we wanna make sure that this world is a good place. That's why we take moments in our service to pray for peace in the Middle East when there's conflict at hand. That's why we take opportunities to go on local trips and global trips to share the love of Jesus, to meet practical needs. There's all of these different things that we can do because we have responsibility. We're not doing it so that we feel good about ourselves. We're doing it to bring glory to him because he says, you have been created in my image and my likeness. Therefore, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, fill it, have dominion. And that hasn't changed. But we have, have even more fulfilled purpose in that because of Jesus, because he's shown us how to do it. And that's through self-sacrifice. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Amen. Pastor Scott. It's so good, Dan. I want to take us back to where we started today, and then we're going to stand. Pastor Kerry, if you were here for the start of service, he read from Psalm 100. And I'm going to read just the last verse. It says, last two verses, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I said to you, I, I, I dropped a hint earlier that we're going to sing a song today to close our service. And um, this is a song that for some of you in the room, this will maybe be a new song uh, for you because you're new to the, the church, to the, the, your Christian journey. But for many of you in the room, this will be anything but a new song. In fact, this will, this will feel like that, that old familiar sound. Um, you know, not only... The only, GT wasn't the only thing that started in 1923, of course, right? Um, in 1923, uh, a Methodist minister in Kentucky wanting to capture his feeling of God's faithfulness in his life, he wrote a poem in 1923, 100 years ago, when, when, this, when seven women were praying in Reading for a move of Pentecost, Thomas Chisholm was writing a poem as an ode to the faithfulness of God. He gave it to his friend, William Runyon, who wrote a, a melody to it. And this song sat in relative obscurity for 30 years. Beautiful, classic. You're gonna know that many of you will know the song, but it sat in obscurity for 30 years. And then it became discovered by the Moody Bible Institute and ultimately by Billy Graham and became a very common song sung at the Billy Graham Crusades. In fact, many would say that it became famous in 1954. I want you to stand with me today. We're gonna to stand right now. <coughs> and the bookends of this service today, while we embed the foundation of worship in our church and in our lives, the bookends is, they are God's faithfulness. Again, for some of you, this song might feel new, but for many of you, this is a very familiar song. We're gonna to sing together and worship God to the song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness, written in 1923. Great is thy faithfulness, 
us in a word of prayer in a second. Let me just say two more things. Um, if you are new today or you've not yet taken your very first step with Jesus, do that today. Come talk with us at the altar. 
What do you mean by your first step? Well, if you have never made a decision to make Jesus your Lord, to confess to God that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, you need to do that before you walk out these doors today. You need to make a decision in this room. Talk with, come find me at the altar. I'd love to pray with you. One of our pastors, our, our team members, pray with you. Just walk you through a prayer that says, you know what? I, I want to give my life to the God of the universe that you guys worship. I'm ready to take that first step. That's your first step. Amen. And then if you need prayer, any other need at all, and we've got team members that would love to stand with you in prayer. Because some of you right now probably are with life circumstances are, are wondering about God's faithfulness. We want, if you're in those kinds of seasons, we want to pray with you. We want to stand with you in prayer and, and cling to the truth of God's word that God is good and his love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. God, we worship you today in this house. Let it always be true of GT Church that we will worship you and you alone, Lord God, for you alone are worthy of it all. So God, I pray now we ask you, God, to allow your favor and your goodness and your blessing and your grace to rest on your people as we walk out these doors, uh, these doors as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you, church. I love you all so much. Have an incredible day in the Lord. God bless you.